Welcome to It's a Crime, I'm Linda, and today we're going to be doing a deep dive on Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell, and we're going to be talking about a little secret society. A little secret society that's in the Book of Mormon. But before we get into it, if you'd like to be part of the It's a Crime community, please click that subscribe button below. Don't forget to hit all for notifications. Please like this if you support it, and please share this out where you can. Now, let's get into it. For most of us, looking into Lori and Chad's life drives us to many rabbit holes. And just when you think you're understanding what the heck is going on, you're led down another rabbit hole, which is what's been happening for the last three days for me. So I've been really thinking about their doomsday date and how far they really strayed off of their religion or seem to have and, well, reality. And I've also been thinking about a few factors in this case for the past few months. Their preparations for July 22nd, Chad's lists, Lori's fake emails, and fraud, murders, gathering of people. And so I went digging and I think I struck some gold, so to speak. So you definitely wanna stick around until the very end of this video because there is a lot of information and a very important pattern that I expose near the end of this video. So today I wanna to explore something called secret combinations, which is straight from the Book of Mormon. Here's what the definition is according to the Mormon religion. A secret combination is an organization of people bound together by oaths to carry out the evil purposes of the group. And Melanie Gibb also referred to secret combinations in an interview when talking about Chad and Lori. She said, I just got to experience something at a very different level. I got to see something what I would call secret combinations unfold in front of me, and I got to see it with my own eyes. And Melanie Gibb, as we are told, was very, very close to Chad and Lori and had the inside scoop in many ways. And I do mention in a few videos where I feel like, yes, Melanie Gibb is part of that inner circle, but in many ways, I feel she was also excluded in some things. Like Alex and Melanie Pulowski using Melanie Gibb to go to Brandon Boudreaux's house, his old house, even though they knew that Brandon moved, and that kind of thing. So let's dive in more as to what a secret combination is and the events or factors that make me believe now more than ever about these guys being in a secret combination or secret society. Here are the important points and factors that make up and are known about a secret combination society. Satan is the founder and leader of secret combinations. In the book it says, and there are also secret combinations, even as in times of old, according to the combinations of the devil. For he is the founder of all these things, the founder of murder and works of darkness. And he leadeth them by the neck with the flaxen cord until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. And what stands out to me first is the devil being the founder. And it automatically makes me think back about that interview with Melanie Gibb. And she kept talking about Lori referring to Chad as Satan. Here's what she said. And she, on occasion, two or three times, said to me, if Chad is Satan, he sure is a good one. In the same part, she goes on to say, so that tends to lead me to think that she wasn't 100% convinced either. And the last comment hasn't really sat well with me. 
I feel like Melanie is misunderstanding that sentence. She's taking it as Lori wasn't convinced, but I'm taking it more like Lori was more being enamored with that. You know, like, if he's Satan, he sure is good, that kind of thing. Then I found another part where Melanie talked about Chad being Satan. She says, could Chad really be Satan? And if so, he's a really good one. You know, that conversation we had, Lori. She addresses Lori. Maybe that was that telling you that little feeling, telling you inside that, yeah, he wasn't doing the right things and saying the right things. And Julie Rowe said this about Chad in one of her interviews. And he thinks that he has some kind of priesthood authority or sealing power that has been given to him to perform ordinances and he has no business messing with any of this. Also, Melanie Gibb called both Lori and Chad Korahor. And it says, from the teachings of my church, there's a guy named Korahor and Korahor was an antichrist. I called both of them a Korahor. And Chad is known to be the leader of the group. In fact, if we look back at fall of 2018, Lori invited Chad and others to her house while Charles wasn't home. And it was for the weekend. And a group of people gathered there for that weekend. And Chad would talk about his teachings and his beliefs. And as Melanie and Lori's friendship grew, Lori would relay this information to Melanie about his beliefs and teachings. Now back to that paragraph uh, in the Book of Mormon about the devil and flaxen cord. It says, and he leadeth them by the neck with the flaxen cord until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. On a single strand of flax, it's weak, but bound together, it can be made thick and strong, durable rope. So the full paragraph that I read is said to symbolize Satan's efforts to use a sin or spiritual weakness to lead a person from one degree of sin to another. And if a person does not repent and turns away from their sins, then Satan could twist or braid those individual strands of sin into stronger strands, which binds his victims forever. And like a strong knot, it can become difficult or even impossible to untie and the unrepentant become hopelessly entangled in their sins. And I believe that describes Chad and his use of words to manipulate people. He would use his lines on women and reportedly multiple women, right? And says to them that they've been married to each other in multiple probations before. He knew the ones that fed into this and the ones he didn't. So he'd prey on the ones that did feed into it and their weaknesses and being like the devil, they were enticed by him. So let's rewind back to when Lori and Chad first met at a convention and Melanie Gibb was there as well with Lori. Melanie was talking about that meeting and being surprised at the things they were talking about when usually it's not talked about out in the open in front of others and should be private. She said, so they just started talking about these different beliefs that generally are not something you'd learn at church. And so they started to kind of develop that connection right there. It was a step further. It was discussing the things that were not something you'd talk at, at church. It was something you'd talk closely with not a lot of people listening, AKA things you would talk about 
in secret. Now, obviously you need more than one person to create a group, right? So a secret society gathers people and they talk about their plans. So we have Lori and Chad, and we know that they started gathering together in fall of 2018 and invited people to Lori's house. We also know from various interviews that there were more than just Chad and Lori that would sit around and talk about their beliefs and teachings. Let's talk about who may be part of this secret combination that we know of. We have Lori, of course, and Chad, Lori's niece, Melanie Pulowski, Lori's brother, Alex Cox, their friend and the future wife of Alex, Zulema Pastanes, Melanie Gibb, and possibly others. Now, in an interview, both Melanie Gibb and Melanie Pulowski would talk about how they would get together and talk about the doctrine. Melanie Pulowski says this, As a family, we get together and talk about the mysteries of God and these deep doctrine conversations. And hey, what do you think about this? What about this idea? Hey, this is in the book. What do you think about this? We are allowed to do that. We are allowed to discern truth from error and just learn in our church. We believe in revelation where we can. You know, it's an ongoing process and we're learning and continually everything is changing. And we are just people that are trying to grow in our faith and be closer to the Savior and there's no cult. No, because that's not the right word. Right, Melody P? It's not a cult. It's a secret combination. Wrong word. Melanie Gibb talked about gathering together and she talked a little bit about Alex and she said this, we just talked about all kinds of stuff, you know, sometimes spiritual stuff, sometimes non-spiritual stuff. In the beginning, it was just more casual because you know he, meaning Alex, didn't know anything about that until later on. Then I found more interviews talking about the doctrine and here's what Melanie Gibb says again. And then you have this doctrine that comes in that's not affiliated with any Christianity that I've ever read of. And it's not doctrine that comes from Jesus Christ. It's doctrine that comes from the adversary. When you go to church in the temple, there are certain questions they ask you to see if your belief system is consistent with the doctrine. And they were inconsistent, meaning Lori and Chad's beliefs. Then April Raymond, Lori's friend from Hawaii, says... And she had just pages and pages of doctrine and lists of, you know, categories that people belonged in. And she was talking about different celebrities and their likeness and their darkness. Side note, she rated Oprah dark. And when she's describing some of their doctrine and describing some of their beliefs, it was just, it was too much to even get my mind around the things that they believed. Next, in a secret combination, there are usually plans that take place, and secret ones, of course. Usually, in these secret combinations, it's often used to murder, steal, and gain power. And sometimes a group of people enters an agreement to hide one another's crimes. And also, its purpose can be to enable members of the group to commit crimes with impunity. And impunity is defined as freedom from punishment or harm. For example, when you steal something and you do not go to jail or face any consequences, this is an example of when you steal with impunity. You'll want to know what the most questions are asked on my channel about this case. How are they getting away with it, Linda? How are they not charged with murder? 
also questions like, how was it self-defense in Charles's death? Why wasn't Alex investigated further? It goes on and on. Let me know your thoughts below. So we have plans and plans of murder, stealing and gaining power and also doing it in secrecy and with impunity. And while in these secret combinations, there are packs with one another. So also these secret combinations often have secret codes and secret signs. Allow me to redo this excerpt. But behold, Satan did stir up the hearts of the more part of the Nephites, insomuch that they did unite with those bands of robbers and did enter into their covenants and their oaths, that they would protect and preserve one another in whatsoever difficult circumstances they should be placed, that they should not suffer for their murders and their plunderings and their stealings. And it came to pass that they did have their signs, their secret signs, and their secret words. And this that they might distinguish a brother who had entered into the covenant that whatsoever wickedness his brother should do, he should not be injured by his brother, nor by those who did belong to his band who had taken this covenant. And thus they might murder and plunder and steal and commit whoredoms and all manner of wickedness contrary to the laws of their country and also the laws of their God. Interesting, right? Let's dive more. We're going to start off with the plan, the initial plan. Everyone meets that weekend fall of 2018, like we were talking about earlier. And in January 2019, there's a plan already setting in motion. How? Chad sends Lori an email with the seven missions to accomplish together. In it, it says, number one, translate ancient records. Number two, write the book about the translation process. Number three, identify locations in Northeast Arizona for white camps. Four, presidency of the Church of the Firstborn. Five, help establish the food distribution as the tribulations start and then delegate. Six, ordain individuals to translation as the camps begin. Seven, provide supplies to righteous members of the family. Now, Chad also sends Lori an email with the family history that we know of, that rating of light and dark, as requested by Lori. And now, when we hit the next section, which is murder, we know where this fits in, right? And some victims also have question marks above them. So let's talk about the murder. For murder in their little secret combination society, we have Charles Vallow, murdered on July 11th, 2019. Alex Cox, his brother-in-law, kills him and claims self-defense. They believe Charles is a zombie named Nick Schneider and has taken over Charles's body. Alex believes in these beliefs of being a zombie and he tells Melanie Gibb he believes 100% in it. He kills Charles, then calls 911 and claims self-defense. He initially says no to do CPR, but then he says he'll try, even though I don't believe he actually administered CPR on Charles, in my opinion. Why resuscitate a zombie, right? Oh, and I probably should add, he got away with this. Most of you know that, but it's important to note, especially what we're talking about here. The question is, why? And I'll be deep diving into this soon. So I also have a reason to believe that Chad Daybell was also involved 
in the planning and execution of this plan. Next, we have Tylee Ryan, murdered between September 8th and 9th, 2019. Tylee was rated 4.1 dark. Tylee was dismembered, burned, and buried in Chad's Pet Cemetery on his property after a day out to Yellowstone Park with Uncle Alex and Lori and her brother JJ. Alex was also involved in Tylee's murder and Lori as well. And Chad. Possibly others also in some capacity, in my opinion. No murder charges yet. JJ Joshua Vallow. Murdered between September 22nd and September 23rd. In the days leading up to his death, Lori repeatedly pointed out behaviors of JJ where she thought were zombie-like. JJ was originally rated light, but was now changed to dark and a zombie. JJ was killed and wrapped in plastic bags and buried on Chad's property as well. Alex and Lori were also involved, again possibly others in some capacity in my opinion. Notable, no murder charges yet. Brandon Boudreaux, attempted murder of Brandon Boudreaux on October 2nd, 2019, after coming home from the gym. The bullet missed his head by inches. Brandon was rated three dark. Melanie Pulowski knew Brandon had recently moved, but she and Alex asked Melanie Gibb to go to her old house to check on the kids. Brandon hired a private investigator after this, and all signs pointed to Alex Cox as being the shooter. Nothing came of this, and Alex, you guessed it, wasn't held responsible. Tammy Daybell attempted murder on October 9th, 2019. Chad had visions of Tammy dying and in an interview, Melanie Gibb said Tammy wouldn't mind if she died. She first talked about Chad and Lori and here's what she says. Well, that was part of their plan. Their whole goal was to get together because they expressed to me many times that Tammy would be okay with this as she passed on. She may not remember it now. Then, 10 days later, on October 19th, 2019, success for them, in my opinion. Tammy goes to bed with a terrible cough and somehow dies peacefully in her sleep with that terrible cough. An autopsy was declined by Chad Daybell, and at 49 years old, her death was ruled as natural causes. Tammy's body was exhumed two months later, and results are still yet to be announced. Murder is yet to be determined. Again, if it is murder, someone got away with it, and no charges. Alex Cox, his death was on December 12th, 2019. It was reported as natural causes, but we're waiting on the toxicology reports of Tammy Daybell to see if there is a common denominator. His rating was too light. His death was ruled as natural. However, everyone is waiting on the toxicology reports on Tammy to see if there is a connection with both of them because some similar things came up like foaming at the mouth. And just as a friendly reminder, five people are dead and at least three common denominators and no one at this point has been charged with murder. Now we get to the next point, stealing. I'm going to expand on stealing and also throw fraud in there. Six of one, half a dozen the other. Let's take a look at Lori. Lori stole $35,000 and change from Charles Vallow back in January of 2019. She stole Charles's truck from the airport parking lot and stole everything in the house right down to Charles's underwear. She tried to make money off his death by cashing in on a $1 million policy just days after his death, but Charles was smart and changed his beneficiary to his sister Kay Woodcock. But it doesn't end there. 
It's been reported that Lori was also getting approximately $6,000 a month, including benefits for Tylee and JJ. She was collecting on those benefits even after the children were murdered. Pretty sure that's fraud. Let me know in the comments below what you think. Oh, and no charges. And she also had Tylee's bank card, let's not forget, and her identification as well while she was in Hawaii, and she also had Tylee's phone. It says in the 48 Hours episode, it says, even more damning than what Lori left behind, maybe what she took with her to Hawaii, was JJ and Tylee's birth certificates, Tylee's bank card, which had been used since her disappearance, and Tylee's cell phone. Lori also used Charles's credit card to purchase items off of Amazon, namely her and Chad's wedding rings, their attire for the wedding, and bathing suits for both Chad and Lori, and I believe shoes as well. And... Charles had been dead for three months at this time. Pretty sure that's not legal. Oh, by the way, no charges. And for good measure, let's also throw in some other facts, like how she changed the password on Charles's life insurance account and had someone call in impersonating Charles as well. Think I got all of that. What else did she steal? Can you remember? Let me know in the comments below. And since we're also talking about money, I wanted to throw in the fact that Chad upped Tammy's life insurance policy substantially just before her death, and he received $440,000 for her life. Melanie Pulowski would have been $1 million richer if the plan succeeded, and well, no one seems to have that answer if Alex had money on his head. Stay tuned for that. And the most important of all, they stole the lives of Charles, JJ, Tylee, and Tammy, in my opinion. Also, we could include lying in this, stealing, fraud, lying, kind of comes with the territory, right? And I don't know if most of these characters involved in this case even know what the truth is. Not all, but most. I certainly know that Chad and Lori have a myriad of lies, that's for sure. Next, gaining power. As I mentioned before, Chad was the leader of sorts, and also Melanie Gibbs said in her interview that Chad and Lori were there to lead the 144,000. She said they did believe that they are the head of the 144,000, so you know that's scriptural. But they believe that that was what their assignment was, so I guess in some sense you could say that they were trying to find people that would fit that group individually. And if you look at the chain of events, I'm sure they do or did feel powerful. People dying, no one being held accountable for murder, stealing, per impersonating other people, nothing. Perhaps that's why the air of confidence and the smirking. They seem overly confident, right? Next, making packs. Secret combinations, also make packs. And while I was researching this, I remembered Alex saying something to Melanie Gibb about Lori throwing her under the bus, and I went back and found it. Nate Eaton asks, what did she ask you to do? She said, she asked me to tell the police that JJ was with me because I was going to go and drive down to Arizona for Thanksgiving and that he was going to go with me, which I didn't know any of this, right? All new to me, that she had made it sound like we had arranged it or something. But anyway, he was going to go down to Arizona with me and she was going to come down there later and pick him up. So that was a foreign idea to me. 
I'd never heard of that before, so it was very... And then she switched and she says, after I get to Arizona and everything, I was talking to Alex because I wanted to meet with him. And he goes, I cannot believe she threw you under the bus like that. And I said, I can't believe she did either. I said, I can't believe she said that. That was not smart. When I first heard this, I thought it was an interesting choice of words of throwing her under the bus. Because usually the term means to me that someone's putting the blame on the other person about something. For example, say we're little kids and we go to a candy store and I steal a candy bar. And then we walk out of the store. Then we get questioned and both of us make a pact not to say anything. But you say, hey, Linda did it. That to me, would be throwing me under the bus, in my opinion. But here, Lori is wanting Melanie to lie about the whereabouts of JJ, and Alex is saying, wow, I cannot believe she threw you under the bus like that. To me, that's more passing the buck. Maybe it's a wrong terminology used, but maybe it's me just looking too much into it. But it did pique my interest. Each time you hear it, I went like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. So I just found those choice of words interesting. Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Also interesting is you got to remember at this point, when this is all going on, Alex and Lori both knew that JJ was dead and buried in Chad Daybell's backyard. And so that's a really good example of the pact, in my opinion. You don't throw anybody under the bus. They made a pact. And that's why I think Alex said that. And I have said this before, but I'm surprised that Lori or, and the society didn't set Melanie Gibb up to take the fall for these murders. Or maybe that was the plan, but it was botched. Now let's talk about secret conversations, codes, and signs. There's another excerpt from the Book of Mormon and it says, And it came to pass that they did have their secret signs, their secret signs, and their secret words. And this that they might distinguish a brother who had entered into the covenant, that whatsoever wickedness his brother should do, he should not be injured by his brother, nor by those who did belong to his band who had taken this covenant. So first, in secret conversations, Nate Eaton asked Melanie Gibb about burner phones and mentions of 60 of them. Melanie said she knew that Lori had three phones. She says, well, I know that she had about three phones, but they seem to be the same phones. So if she did those and threw them away, I don't know about that. It was hard to track her at times. You didn't know which phone she was going to pick up. She says she had one special phone that her and Chad would communicate with, and he had a special phone outside of his cell phone number, so it was just for their personal communication. Nate asks, why do you think they were so secretive? And Melanie says, when you go to church in the temple, there are certain questions they ask you to see if your belief systems are consistent with the doctrine and they were inconsistent. And so that's the reason you're going to be secret about it because you know, you think you know something more than they do. At least that's what you know was introduced as this idea, we know more. If that got out, people would think you were unusual, weird in the church, right? And then they would say, hey, I don't think that you're allowed to go into the temple because of these teachings, so you're going to keep these things secret, right? And in an interview with April Raymond, she talked about all of the phones as well, and she said, and Tylee even made the comment, she said, mom, you look like a drug dealer with all of your phones. 
now let's talk about secret codes. And if you're gonna keep something secret, you might wanna take it a step further and start talking in codes, right? Let's take a look at Lori's requested family history chart or rubric. It evolved throughout the year, as we know, but Chad rated and coded Lori's family. Interestingly, a lot of people that Lori had issues with were rated dark, as we know. Notable was Charles ended up turning dark and also JJ, but you see Brandon Boudreaux rated dark, Colby's wife, which I'm willing to bet that Lori was jealous or had an issue with Kelsey. And in an interview with Colby Ryan, they talked about how Lori would treat Colby as more of a boyfriend. Keith Morrison says, there had once been a time when Colby and his mom were a two-person team, just them against the world, but then you got married? Colby says, mm-hmm. Keith says, did that affect your relationship with your mom? Colby says, oh, absolutely. I think that's what happened was it just became a competition. Keith says, your mom was treating you like a boyfriend and not like a son? Colby says, mm, oh, 100%. Keith says, and got angry when you went away? Colby says, yeah. So it sounds like a jealous girlfriend more than a mom, and no wonder why she wanted Kelsey rated dark, right? In my opinion. Joseph Ryan was also rated dark. Charles's ex was rated dark. One of Charles's sons, dark. And this, to me, looks like a hit list looking back, or a potential one. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below. Now, the next code, Lori's email written in code to Chad from Lori, but she signed it as Charles. And I believe it's a plan to kill Charles and how they would execute it is in there. And it also mentions how they would get away with it. I'll do a renewed video on that so you can check out the old one right here. The next code, there's a coded voicemail from Julie Rowe that I'm currently diving into and decoding. And it's clearly in code. Now, one of the things about secret combinations is it mentions that it's also how you know that other people are in that same society by the use of their codes and their signs. So stay tuned for that because there's some similarities and I'm wondering if Julie Rowe actually had knowledge about Charles's death or, or, um, or something to the, that effect. Stay tuned for that. So I do believe that there's more to this than meets the eye. And I do believe that these were coded messages. I just wish I could see more about what they found so I can see the pattern and put this together. Now there are more patterns that I am unraveling and some deserve a video all on its own. But I want to say this, and this is a big one. If Chad is the devil and a good one, then I believe he's choosing to do other things in the way of Satan. And I believe that authorities need to pay very close attention to the times, not just the dates, but the actual times of JJ's death, Tylee's death, and Tammy's. Because the devil's hour is at 3 a.m. And the coroner estimated Tammy Daybell's death to be around 2 a.m. Of course, that's just an estimation. I'm betting it was actually closer to three. And we know that Alex was at Lori's apartment numerous times the night of Tylee's death. But he leaves his apartment at 2.42 a.m. in the middle of the night. And he's back at Lori's house 
And then he goes back to his apartment at 4.37 and stays there until 8.59 that morning. With JJ, Alex comes back to Lori's apartment. And in the affidavit, it doesn't mention the time. But JJ is being carried by Alex and he looks like he's sleeping. Which, if this theory is correct, he would be. And by morning, though, J.J. is no longer home. And Lori makes up some stupid story about J.J. climbing on the counters in the fridge and knocking a picture of Jesus off the fridge. But J.J. must have been in some super stealth mode because Melanie and David didn't hear any of this stuff. So my belief is to look at the pattern. And the pattern is Tammy, my guesstimation is at 3. Tylee, shortly after 2.42, Alex comes over. So I'm guessing three, and same with JJ. Now, it'd be very interesting to know if authorities actually look around this time and maybe they can glean some really good information and find out more if they go along with this theory at 3 a.m. It could be something, it could not be something, but at this point in this video, there's some very, very, very strong indicators that this is a secret combination, AKA a secret society, and it's more than likely this is what's going on. What are your thoughts? Let me know below. And finally, also in the Book of Mormon, it says, Yeah, and there shall be many which shall teach after this manner false and vain and foolish doctrines, and shall be puffed up in their hearts, and shall seek deep to hide their counsels from the Lord, and their works shall be in the dark. Let's chit-chat below. This is a lot to take in, but it is sure coming together, isn't it? What do you think? Please like, please share, and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.